How Can I Help is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. What would you do if you thought someone you knew had a gambling problem? You hate to sound cold because there's a lot of sympathy there and you know how manipulative and intentionally manipulative a lot of the gambling advertisement is and the gambling system is. And I think for me, like, there is that fear that you also get manipulated. Yeah, I would definitely try and see if they're responsive to getting help. It's sort of personal for them, but I, I think I'd, the approach would be to sort of like have a chat. Come on, mate. Um, you know, you're never going to win. I mean, from personal experience, a family member, we weren't even sure if they did. You can just kind of see things that you think that's not right. And somehow it's, I guess, you're telling them they are failing and that is harder to point out. From Pro Bono News... This is How Can I Help, a podcast for people who want to help but don't know where to start. I'm Wendy Williams, the editor of Pro Bono News. Each week, I'll speak to someone who knows firsthand what it's like to live through different issues. I'll also talk to the experts, the people working on the front lines, about what you and I can do to help. This podcast is not going to solve the world's problems, but it might just give some of us the tools we need to help make the world a better place. A warning before we begin. This episode contains discussions of gambling and gambling harm. While many people wouldn't think twice about an outing to the pokies or putting a bet on the footy or the Melbourne Cup, data from the Productivity Commission shows that up to 170,000 Australian adults experience problems due to gambling addiction. In fact, Australians are among the heaviest gamblers in the world. Estimates suggest that we lose approximately $25 billion on legal forms of gambling each year. That doesn't include the social costs of gambling. It can affect everything from your financial and emotional well-being to your relationships with friends and family and your career. It's estimated that for every person who experiences severe harm because of their gambling, up to six other people are negatively affected. So what do you do if you think someone you know is experiencing gambling harm? In this episode of How Can I Help, we speak with Anna Barsley about her experience of gambling and hear from David McAnellan from Relationships Australia Queensland about what we can do. Today, Anna is a retired businesswoman and an advocate for gambling reform. She describes herself as an accidental advocate, having come to work with the Alliance for Gambling Reform through her own experience of gambling harm. She also works with Respin, Three Sides of the Coin, and as a member of the Victorian Responsible Gambling Foundation's Lived Experience Advisory Committee. In 2019, she won a Victorian Senior of the Year Award for raising awareness of the impacts of gambling. And this was something she learned the hard way after battling with gambling for a decade. In her case, it was related to poker machines. What might have started as a cheap and cheerful flutter with a group of women a few times a year soon escalated. None of us ever spent more than twenty dollars in the evening in the in the po- in the pokies, um, and none of us had a problem not putting any more money than that in it. Um, we all knew how to stop, and we all knew how to walk away, and we had a lot of fun. We made a lot of noise and laughed a lot, and 
So it seemed it seemed innocent. My life has been very difficult, I would say, yes. Um, I've had a lot of tragedy in my life. Two of my five children had died and my some of two of my surviving children weren't well and um and I had been I was in a long term marriage that was crumbling, falling apart. And one night after a particularly bad argument with my then husband, I just I had to get out of the house. I needed to to just not be there. And um I got in the car, went for a drive but it was cold, wet night after 10 o'clock. Nothing's open except the, one of those places that I used to go to with my friends. And as I drove past, I the, the signs and the lights on the side of the road literally beckoned me in. They li- literally, when I think on it, back on it, they said, you know what to do here. You know you can come in here. You know, it's warm and safe and it's okay for women on their own. And so I, for the first time in my life ever, I went into a pub by myself. I was in my 50s at this stage. I went to a pub by myself and I went to the pokies by myself. And when I look back on it, I know that that was the beginning of the end. And so it became the place to go um, if when I needed a break. Um, from my tough life and I found myself going more and more often I found myself only wanting to go on my own Um, at um, going with other people then I had to pretend in a way that I didn't want to Um, I would go whenever I had a spare half an hour and I every time I went I would say I'm only staying half an hour or you know 20 minutes or I'm only spending $20, $50, the amount increased that I would allow myself to spend. But I never, ever dreamt. I never walked in and said, I'm staying for eight hours and I'm going to spend over a grand, ever. Um, And that's what eventually happened to me. I would be there often for hours and hours and hours. One day I was there all day. And it was nothing to any money I had in my purse would just disappear. As soon as I opened my wallet and I saw I had cash, uh, my brain would go straight to I'm off to the pokies. It, How bad did um, it get, Anna? Oh, it, it got really bad. I lost 10 years of my life to the pokies. Um, I, and I would, I would go several times a week. Um, I was disgusted with myself every time I did it. I would stop for a while and then I'd find myself back there again and then I'd feel worse. And uh, there was a time when all I, I just wanted to be dead. I thought, there's no way out of this. I'll never be free of this. I'll just be living like this for the rest of my life. And I had turned into somebody I didn't recognise. I had um, become another person. I, I was someone who believed deeply in personal responsibility I taught it to my children you're responsible for what you say and do and here I was saying and doing things that were wrong and I was lying to people about where I was and I was the one who managed the money in the household so I could cover that up I was using a credit card to pay bills and then spending the money I earned in the two jobs I had to um, throw it down the throat of a poker machine 
And you mentioned there you started lying about where you were and what you were doing. I mean, did your friends and family know what was going on? Not to the degree that it, it was, no. My husband at the time knew that I was going to the pokies more often than was sensible, um, but he didn't know how to handle it. And our relationship was so difficult that there was no way that anything he said was going to make um, any difference. And he didn't talk to me directly. He talked to other people about it and that made it worse for me. And um, I did tell um, a close friend who had also been using the pokers and and so I had some, I wasn't entirely alone in it, but I did tell the whole truth. I don't know that I knew the whole truth, Wendy. I think it was, I think I, I was in such a fog um, and you go into this other place. It's like another world. I never thought I'd be an addict and I certainly never thought I'd be a gambling addict. And I don't, still don't think that I actually am that kind of a gambler, but the, machi- the poker machines I found out in recovery are designed to addict. They're designed that way. They're designed to do what they did for me that first time I went by myself the way the real spin, the music that's played, the images on it, the whole thing, the whole surroundings in um, poker poker machine rooms are designed to make women feel comfortable going there on their own. Um, and and when I realised all of that, I, I got angry and I thought, this is, I was done over. I was targeted. What was it for you then that, change this from being a problem that put you on the path to recovery? I wanted to be free. I wanted to have something better in my life and I just kept trying to stop. There were tools that I got from different parts of the world, if you like, um, and one of them was the, the quit smoking program that said every time you quit, you're one step closer to quitting. And so I decided to take that attitude on board, that that relapse didn't mean I was a bigger loser than before. It just meant I hadn't got quite got it yet. Um, and I was introduced to a woman who taught me about how the brain works and that the brain does what it thinks you want it to do. So it sends you in a direction that it thinks you want. And if you want to change a habit, then you have to give your brain a different message. So I developed a couple of mantras that I just kept repeating to myself, especially when I had the urge to go and gamble. And by the time I was at this stage, I I had got to the point where I didn't even have to make a conscious decision to go to the pokies. I would be driving past and I'd find myself in the car park because I was in the left-hand lane and there was the venue. Um, and I, I was deluding myself with crazy messages like, oh, I need to go to the toilet and know where there's a clean toilet. Um, I w- I, I'm going out for a cup of coffee and um, I know where I can get a free cup of coffee. Well, those free cup of coffees cost me a fortune. And, um, and so every time the urge, even a minor one, came to gamble, I would say, turn my head slightly and say, no, I don't do that anymore. So there was a physical element to it. No, I don't do that anymore. And, the, and for quite a few months I was saying this ha- like a 100 times a day 
Yeah. And one thing I'd like to ask, Anna, is a lot of what you're saying there about your recovery, it was really self-motivated. You went out and you found things that would help you and, you know, you had your own mantras and hats off to you. That's incredible. But did you get any support on this journey? Was there anyone that was helping you? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, The early part, because because it was a secret, I couldn't tell anybody because it was a secret and it was a very, very shameful secret. Being a gambler is a is a hideously shameful thing to be, to be a problem gambler. And I'm waving the air quotes here. Um, it, it's because of the messaging, you ju- people generally think, well, why don't they just stop? Why don't they just stop? Oh, look at those people. Look at that. How dumb are you to sit there in front of a poker machine and just press buttons? Do you really think you're going to win? So all of that stigma makes it really hard to admit to anybody that the problem is as big as it is so you feel like you've got to manage on your own and so I felt that for a while until I met some people um, who were in the same boat as me that helped enormously to be in a group of um, other people who understood and then I decided I was going to get some therapeutic counselling because I was, I really, I just wanted life to be better. So I rang Gambler's Help and um, went to counselling. The fact that it was free was really important because I didn't have any money. Um, and I know there are people who say you don't value what you don't pay for, but I don't think that's true. I value it enormously. And I had, and I had some of the best counselling I've had and I've had a lot of counselling because of all the deaths in my life, um, and they were fabulous. And I joined groups. I did art therapy. Um, I joined a writing group uh, um, with Arnold Zabel, which seemed like it was going to be a bit of fun at the time. It turned into a massively important um, link in moving away from the whole sense of being a gambler. Because in that group, I unearthed the shame I felt about what I had done, about ignoring my phone, about um, lying about where I'd been, about coming, being in a venue at three o'clock in the morning um, and pretending I was home in bed, rolling the car down the driveway so I wouldn't wake up the dog and he'd wake up the household. Uh, uh, Some really 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 terrible things they've it felt so awful but i but i unpacked it the work of that group was eventually published in a book from ruin to recovery and that then began speaking out about it because we we talked in the group about what name we would put on the work we all knew nobody was going to put their real name on the work because nobody wanted to be known as a gambler and that included me. And um, then when I tried to rationalise having written so personally about shame and being too ashamed to put my name on it, I decided with my family's permission to do that. And that was when my husband found out how bad it was. He had not known up till that point how bad it was. That's when my kids found out. And I was involved in the launch of the book, did public interviews on national television and radio and stuff with Arnold and uh, in the local paper and that's when my neighbours found out 
and nobody knew. Nobody, there wasn't one single person who had any idea how bad it had been. And um, and I've just gone from I'm now that that work out of that book has t- we've become a theatre group, and we perform our stories. And I work with the Alliance for Gambling Reform. I'm on the lived experience advisory committee at the Victorian Responsible Gambling Foundation. I just want to encourage support people who want to speak out about it, so that people like I was don't feel so alone. So just picking up on that. How can people help if they think someone they know is going through this? I know in your case, you said no one did know, which, you know, that makes it very hard for you to get the help you need. But is there anything that could or would have helped you at the time? To be able to broach a subject as delicate as this, you need to have a good relationship with the person. And so if you if you have a close relationship with someone, an honest one, then you can say, are you okay if you notice that they never got any money, if they can't go, like you invite your friend for lunch or coffee or something when you can do that now, um, and they can't afford it all the time and you think, well, mm, I wonder what's going on there, if they're always short of money or they, if they're um, – I used to go to the pub for family dinners and things because that's what we used to do before I became an addict, and I would disappear we would be having dinner and I'd say, oh, I'm going to the toilet and I'd disappear for quite a while and then I ended up in the pokies room. If you find that's happening to your friends, ask them, are you okay? Can I help? Do you know you can get help? If you don't like, don't want to do this, I can help you find some help. And there's, and there's so many different kinds of help now that wasn't there when I was gambling. You can... There's online information and support. You can join groups online. You don't have to actually face up to anybody. Um, Counselling is available on online. That can be difficult for people who don't want, if they don't live alone and they don't want someone listening to the conversation. But there are, there are options. There are ways around this. You can go sit in the car and take the call on your phone in the car um, there, um, it's worth finding a way that works for you. And one of the things that has to happen is that you have to replace the gambling with something else because it takes over. It's, it becomes the only thing you think about. And so you find other things to do, other things to look at, to notice. And one last question for you, Anna, because thank you so much for sharing your experience. I really appreciate it. But what do you wish more people understood about this issue? I wish more people understood that it's the product, not the person. That's the product that needs to be different. Um, if we plain packaged poker machines, for instance, then they'd be a different thing altogether, like we did with cigarettes. And um, we should ban all gambling advertising. We should recognise that gambling is dangerous, that gambling harms a lot of people. And it doesn't just harm individuals, it harms families because for every person who's gambling, the effect is is, is like pebble in a pond. It goes out in rings and, it, and it's a massive public health issue. 
costs the community enormously. And the money that's going into poker machines is money and, and into gambling uh, is money that isn't being spent in other businesses in local areas. Local small businesses should be up in arms about poker machines. Massive. Gambling is everywhere in today's society, and to a large extent, it's become normalised. This can make it difficult to know if someone has a problem with gambling, and behaviour is often hidden. You might notice changes in the person's finances, mood and behaviour, or how they spend their time. Maybe you go for dinners together and find they spend all their time at the pokies. Other times, you might not know it at all. David McAnellan is a community educator at Relationships Australia, Queensland. He also has lived experience of gambling. He says it is a complex issue, but there are signs to look out for. Uh, I, I take reference from uh, Dr. Rob Hunter, um, who uh, from, was the founder and um, director of the Las Vegas Gambling Help Centre, who really says it quite simply, if you're gambling when you should be doing somewhere else, something else or somewhere else, you've probably got a poor relationship to gambling. Um, and I like that simplicity of, you know, if you're doing gambling when you should be working, catching up with friends, going to an event, um, you know, and you're doing that in that time, you've probably got a poor relationship to it. I think it's really simplistic um, for that. So, and then you get the person who... Um, Gambling is not uh, a problem for them. It's actually a gambling solution. Um, so the gambling actually meets a need, um, like all addiction, which is that we just want to numb. And so gambling becomes a solution, which ultimately then becomes an added problem. When they stop gambling, they've actually still got a whole lot of problems going on. They've just been avoiding them. And so that's why it's hard to, for um, a person to stop gambling because when they do, they get confronted with the reality of their life. And so going and, um, and having a gambling solution to medicate is, is their choice. Um, so it's a complex issue um, because uh, it's a process addiction. So as opposed to, um, you know, for someone who has a poor relationship with alcohol, they need alcohol. Someone who's got a poor relationship with drugs, they need prescribed or illicit drugs and, and they take them in quantities. For a person who has a poor relationship to gambling, it's about having cash, the availability and accessibility of cash. And so, um, but the same thing happens. It's that anticipation. The anticipation of having a bet um, does, does what we know today with the dopamine responses, um, sets off a response like nothing else. I'd love to jump in there, David, because I'd really love to get a sense from you on the best ways that people can have that conversation. And then, as you said, like it's a very, very complex issue and people from the outside don't know what that individual is going through or why they're doing or where it's coming from. How do you approach a conversation like that? I, I think it's out of, out of a, uh, a place of love, actually. Um, you know, I, when I get asked about this, how do I talk to my family member? How do I talk to my friend? What, what should I do? And I go, it's really simple. Uh, nothing can be much done until that person comes to a, a place where they go, actually, this is no longer enjoyment. This is no longer um, something that I want to pursue. But what a person can do is plant a seed. 
And that's one of the big things. And when I talk in the community, I go, please be good seed planters. And so do something like this. You know, uh, dear brother, I worry about your relationship with gambling. Dear mum, I worry about your relationship with gambling. I'm not here to judge you about that. What I am here to say is that whenever you want to talk about this, please know that you can pick up the phone or ask me to come and see you. And I and I would be happy to hear, you know, and talk to you and discuss what the options are. You know, um, with your relationship to gambling, although I want you to know that, um, you know, I no longer will give you cash, um, you know, uh, but if you're short of a bill, I'd still ask you to come to me because I care for you as a family member or a friend. Um, but please know I'm going to take responsibility for all my bills first. And if I have the capacity then to help you, then I'll help you. If I don't have that capacity, I want you to know that, that I'm still going to say no to you because I need to take care of me. Because when you want to talk about your relationship with gambling, I need to be available to help you. That's the sort of approach that I use there, Wendy. It's really good advice there, David, and it's certainly not an easy conversation, I think, to have. Do you have any tips on kind of the timing of when you might do that? Like at what point do you intervene? At what point do you start to think, gosh, that's that's more than a more than something they're doing for a pastime. That seems like that could be a problem. At what point do you think family or friends or colleagues can recognize that it's becoming worse? Look, you know, there are two distinct areas with this. One is that it is very overt and you can see it because, you know, you go to arrange a meeting or you all gather gather socially and next thing the person who has the poor relationship just disappears and they're in the gaming area or they're, they're at screens or they're on their phone and they're not interacting in the whole purpose that you came together. So there's that overt one that you can see. The other one is that the incredible secrecy of some gamblers where they can gamble for 10, 15, 20 years without a, a family partner knowing they're doing that until it is at absolute crisis point and it becomes this huge bet- betrayal that's in there. So there's two distinct types. For the avert one, it's, you know, hey, listen, Dave, you know, we came out tonight and you're missing. Uh, we, we really enjoy your company. So come and, come and join us, you know. Um, hey, Dave, I came over before and asked you to come and join us. You haven't. We're about to go on. Do you want us to just leave you here or and so on? And, you know, um, but, David, I want you to know I worry about your relationship with gambling and come back to seed planting. You know, uh, I want to let you know that I, I've known people before who've had a poor relationship with gambling and, you know, I have have some connections with people that can do that or I can I would assist you to find out how you can assist yourself with this relationship and gambling that you've got because I want you to know that I care about you and so you can make that distinction. I love you as a family member but I don't like your behaviours and if you want to talk to me about that. So that's the avert one. The secret one becomes a real shock and awe because it's usually a knock on the door or a phone call to say, hi, we're repossessing the home, repossessing the car, Um, we're serving you to go to court, and that's where a family or friend or or someone just gets, oh, my gosh, and, you know, the hurt that occurs for them is incredibly deep. And, um, And so it's very hard to have, I worry about your relationship with gambling, 
conversation because they're incredibly hurt at that point. Uh, the thing that I, I think they should do is, I don't have a solution to this. We need to find solutions together. I hope you would be open to us to go and explore solutions together about this because now that I'm aware of it all, I, I'm deeply worried about your relationship with gambling. And, you know, um, I really want to I really want to be helpful in this um, because a lot of people just um, do what the gambler wants, which is get so mad. That's it. You've got to deal with it yourself. And, the, and a lot of people think that the person has the poor relationship will make the change. You know, it's either me or the family or it's job or me. The gambler actually goes, oh, thank goodness. Now I can do it in peace. Oh, thank, good, thank goodness you made a decision to exit because now I can do this in peace. But I would say for those family people in, in all, whether it's the avert or the secret gambler, make sure you get support for yourself so that you can support your gambler. I think that's the biggest thing that people don't understand when I talk to them. They go, David, it's my gambler who's the problem, not me. And I go, you're not a problem, but you're impacted by this. You need support so that you can support your gambler. And that's 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 a, a challenging conversation in our community because when when you bring that to their attention, no, no, David, I'm not the problem. And I go, you've got a gambler in your life. It's a, it's not a spectator sport. It's a game that everyone's playing here. Um, how about you get some help because you're supporting this gambler? I think that's and a really so- interesting point and, and a question we've talked about on this podcast before is, you know, how – difficult it can be to watch someone go through like this and the implications that it has on the people around them. And as you said, even identifying that you're being impacted can can be a really huge kind of barrier to get over. What advice, David, do you give to people in that situation? Like what advice do you offer family members who are struggling to be supportive and struggling to understand what it means for them? I look, uh, the big thing I, I, I say to family members is Go out to low tide at the ocean and try and stop the tide turning back. Um, and 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 the, the point of that is to say you have very little control over your gambler in your life. So get support for you so that when your gambler is in that point where they go, you know what, I'm defeated, I, I, I can't do this anymore. And that's why I keep always saying it's okay to seed plant. Okay to, to seed plant and say, you know, if that's what you're going to do, that's what you're going to do. But I worry about that relationship that you're having with gambling. But I always remind people that the gamblers are like this. A, they're super sensitive. B, they're childlike. And they have no boundaries. And, um, you know, and um, when they walk through the door, they don't think much of themselves, but one thing's absolutely certain, they only think of themselves. And um, and so that's incredible for someone who's trying to love love someone. Uh, it's an ugly beast to be around, someone in the full flight of the gambling. But it, it, is, it is love, but it is love with boundaries. It can be hard trying to help someone who gambles, especially if they don't think they have a problem or don't want to stop. As David says, Nothing much can be done until that person is ready. You can't control their behaviour. Sometimes it's love with boundaries. But there are ways to support them, even if it's just planting a seed and telling them you're worried about them. You also need to support yourself. 
There are a wide range of resources available for anyone affected by gambling across Australia. These services are open to people with a gambling addiction, as well as their friends and families. For more information, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au or call 1-800-858-858 for free support. You can find out more about the work of the Alliance for Gambling Reform at pokiesplayu.org.au and for more information about Relationships Australia-Queensland, visit raq.org.au. How Can I Help is written and produced by me, Wendy Williams, with sound editing from Stefan Johnson and additional support from Maggie Coggan, Luke Michael and Nikki Stefanoff. If you like this episode, please hit subscribe and share it with your friends. If this has inspired you, you have a story about a time when you've helped someone or failed to, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us by emailing news at probonoaustralia.com.au. And remember, you can visit probonoaustralia.com.au for all the latest news from across the social economy.